0: Sir Vince Cable is a politician who was leader of the Liberal Democrats from 2017 to 2019, Member of Parliament for Twickenham and Secretary of State for Business, Innovation and Skills for five years. And I'm delighted to have him on the show just now. How are
2: you doing today? I'm very well. It's uh, very dull here, but I'm getting on with some useful work inside. Nice. And you've got some nice paintings there behind you, I see. Yes, I think on... On your right I think mm. is um, a nice picture of Shetland ah. uh, may not be recognisable but <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I, I value having good, good pictures on the wall. Yeah absolutely
0: Now growing up did you ever aspire to be a politician and get involved in politics or was it something that just sort of happened?
2: No there th- was a mixture of the two I mm. mean I think when I was at school uh, I was beginning to develop an interest in politics it was mainly as a result of arguing that my father was yeah. a very right-wing conservative and I took a slightly somewhat different view, age 13 plus, mm. on the empire and Suez and things of this kind. So I got used to debating politics with him mm. and I suppose I had an aspiration to Play a role. It wasn't initially so much, um, in in sort of parliamentary terms. I mean, I was a teenage actor, and I loved, you know, I got used to the idea of being on the stage and making speeches and so on. So it developed that way. Then um, at university, I was sort of acting in politics and in the debating union. Became president of the union and. Um, so I suppose by my early 20s, I'd, I'd become part of the what people now call the political class. Yeah,
0: And growing up with a father that you disagreed with a lot, do you think that maybe helped you prepare for maybe
2: debates with people that you don't necessarily agree with? Yes, it, it, it did. I mean, if you look at the biographies of most politicians, they actually tend to follow their parents. Yeah. But you know there are some people who react against it. Um, I mean, I did, Mm. Um, and I as, as it happens, I had a you know I spent my early teenage life debating with my father. Over the dinner table, often in a very bad-tempered way. Yeah. Um, but my best friend was a communist, so actually, I was from a fairly early stage. I was looking for a sort of compromise between the two. Yeah,
0: and your father, I guess, he was also a bit of an aspirational man,
2: wasn't he? so no, was, uh, you know, I had, I had my disagreements with mm. him, but um, he, he was impressive in his way. I mean, yeah. he was uh, a very hard-working, family devoted, you know. very much into thrift and uh, hard work and aspiration, um, including for me. So I you know, I owe a lot to my father.
0: Yeah. And as you were growing up, you moved to beggar and beggar houses.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, th- 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 we started in what you could call the working class, you know, when he and my mother were doing kind of manual jobs. And we had an outside loo and a, yeah. a terry house and all that. But you know, as we progressed through my childhood, he progressed professionally and started teaching building and trades at a tech college. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, did well, went past the eleven plus was a system at that time. Um, and we became more, you know, socially kind of low middle class rather than working class. Uh, and um, you know bigger and bigger houses and more aspiration Mm -hmm.
0: and I guess most people probably know you best for parliament and government and things but you had a bit of a long career before eventually becoming an MP because you were a councillor in Mary in Glasgow for many years weren't you
2: yeah well it took me 30 years from (laughs) when I first stood for parliament in Glasgow Um, to actually becoming an MP, Um, 30 long years. I only got in when I was 54, Um, so I've got an old man by many standards. Uh, So in the meantime, I did all kinds of things and um, travelled around the world, did different jobs Mm -hmm. in academia, think tanks, and then eventually in Shell, I was their chief economist and, you know, travelled the world with them looking at, you know, business opportunities in China, India, Nigeria, mm. Russia. Um, and then, so, you know, I'd already had quite a good career, uh, was well reasonably well paid and more important, actually is i'd had a you know had a, had opportunity to devote to my family and yeah. had a kind of loving relationship and sadly my wife died uh, shortly after i became an mp but you know we had we had a good family and you know children who um grew up in a, in a good way. Um, so I, I didn't feel my time was wasted outside mm. of political life.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you spent 30 years trying to get into Parliament, and I think it was your fifth attempt you got in. So you never sort of gave up. I guess you really wanted to be there.
2: Yes, I, th- I think I also had a lot of support from my wife. I mean, mm. she, she felt we'd given up a lot for my political hobby if that was what we called it Um, particularly when I was travelling 200 miles every weekend to stand in York which is my hometown where I stood for the uh, SDP Liberal Alliance in the 80s uh, and I think she felt I should keep going and and when I had an opportunity to stand in Twickenham which is where we lived um, you, you know, even though she was ill and I was spending a lot of my time as a carer uh, we kept, you know we kept the ambition alive and in the 1997 big Lib Dem breakthrough um, I, I got elected as part of that uh, tsunami
0: Yeah and then in 2010 when there was the coalition which came about after the result you ended up being business secretary as a part of that but what was your reaction to the result actually because i guess it's the only election i can think of where it could have been conservative labor or lib dem as the biggest party when it was done but in the end lib dem actually lost a couple of seats didn't
2: they so were you shocked by the result yeah we lost more than a couple of seats i think it was seven or eight um uh, It was was a particular shock because during that campaign, you may not remember, but... Um, for a while at the beginning, um, after the debates in which Nick Clegg was given the equal status with Gordon Brown and David Cameron, uh, we were briefly in the lead. I mean, yeah. we, great things were seen as possible, but, but it all sort of ebbed away towards Election Day, mm-hmm. and we finished up with about 22% of the popular vote, which is pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't enough to get more seats, and actually we went backwards a bit. Uh, and the outcome in terms of seats in 2010 was particularly cruel because, um, you know, we we were a few more seats for the opposition. And I think we probably have formed a coalition with Labour, but yeah. the, the numbers were not there Um Uh, I I think a lot of us, some of us anyway, I I was particularly, I would certainly have favoured a coalition with Gordon Brown. Mm. uh, We certainly discussed it with him. I did. um, But it wasn't possible. The arithmetic wasn't there. Mm. And of course, the additional complication was that we had a major economic crisis. um, There was a lot of pressure on me and other leading Lib Dems to come to a quick Uh, agreement to tackle the economic problems.
0: Yeah. Am I right in saying that even though you lost seats in that election, your share of the popular vote actually went up?
2: Fractionally, yes. I think it was about 22, 23%. And that, in a way, illustrates the... Um, you know, the absurdity of the British electoral system. I mean, we had, you know, over 20% of the vote. We had, I think, 50, 54 MPs out of 650, less than 10%. I mean, it just shows, you know, how unrepresentative Parliament actually is. And we suffered from that, as do other small parties. I mean, the Greens have a... Fairly solid following of about 5%, but they only have one MP. Um, The the system, as it is at the moment, strongly favours the Conservatives and also the the Scottish Nationalists because their support is highly concentrated. Mm.
0: Would you say that the coalition between you and the Conservative Party was a successful government overall?
2: Um, Yes and no. I mean, Mm. the yes was that the government was stable. I mean, we stuck together for five years. It was difficult. Um, but we worked um, efficiently. Decisions were made. Um, it, you know, th- there may have been quite a lot of ideological difference. There was differences on policy, but we always reconciled them and went ahead and um, implemented the policies that we thought we were right. I mean, no, in in the sense that um, it was very bad for the Lib Dems. Mm-hmm. You know, we suffered appallingly at the, the end of it. Um, and we were forced into making a whole lot of choices, policy choices, that had we been on our own or with other parties, we would not have made.
0: Yeah. And as business secretary, are there any big achievements that stand out to you during that time?
2: Yes, I, th- I think there are, there are quite a lot. I mean, we, I sort of introduced what we call the industrial strategy. Uh, put a lot of emphasis on the car industry the aerospace industry offshore wind um infrastructure other things which you know were very successful i set up the green investment bank Fortunately, the Tories subsequently sold it, um, set so like up the British Business Bank that was critical to financing business through the pandemic. <clears throat> um, and and the, the Catapult Network, which is provides a lot of funding for the big innovation hubs uh, in the UK. So yeah, and there was a lot to show for it. Uh, and my colleagues in government, my Lib Dem colleagues, introduced uh, big reforms helping pensioners. That's Steve Webb. Uh, raising the threshold for low earners for paying tax in order of emphasis on mental health. I mean, we, you know, we did some good things, but yeah. unfortunately we were compromised by being pushed into some very bad decisions as well.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I guess there's so much stuff that you maybe would have wanted to do, but because you were in a coalition, you couldn't.
2: Well, it was partly that, of yeah. course, and partly the financial position. I and mean, we took a view at the beginning of the coalition, uh, which was very much the advice we received from all the top civil servants and economic advisors at the time that we had to pursue a policy of tightening the budget deficit, um, what's simply been called austerity, and it led to some painful and difficult decisions. But in the context in which we operate, Mm. (coughs) we didn't feel we really had any choice. Yeah.
0: And on the other hand, I know it's maybe not the best idea to look back with hindsight, but is there anything during that time that you would go back and change?
2: Well, the... The things that I fought for at the time, and where we didn't succeed, is that I think we sacrificed a lot of public investment. And I think Britain is very badly served with infrastructure. Um, communications infrastructure, particularly in some of the depressed parts of the UK, railway systems. Yeah. We could have pushed ahead with that, uh, and it would have been consistent with uh, reducing the current account deficit of the budget. Uh, but the Treasury took a you know, very negative view and stopped it. Um, you know, I certainly very much regret that. Yeah. Uh, had we had more money, you know, it might have been possible to head off some of the troubles we run into with student fees. Um, though the priorities which I established in higher education, further education I think were right. In other words, we're trying to protect further education college and adult education from the full force of the cuts, so it fell on to um, higher education students.
0: Yes. At the 2015 election, as you've sort of touched on, it probably wasn't the best result for the Lib Dems because a lot of seats were lost, including yours, so how did that feel to go from being in government, being the business secretary, to then having no seat at all?
2: Well, it was fairly traumatic. I mean, in a way um, it was less traumatic for me personally than a lot of other of my colleagues because I was already um you know in, in my seventies by that point um i you know i was retirement age and there were a lot of things I wanted to do writing books articles um I had a very happy um home life you know i'd remarried um and, you know, I was enjoying spending time like that. So, so it didn't hit me in the way that it hit some others. I mean, Joe Swinson, for example, both she and her husband lost uh, lost their seats, lost their jobs on the same night. And they had a young baby and had to uh, look after the family. So, you know, some of those guys really had a hard time. Uh, but I think the 2015 election was quite um important historically um and I, I don't think too many people understood quite why it happened that way i mean it wasn't it was partly a reaction to the coalition the lib dems were concerned but shortly before the election we thought we would get away with about 30 seats from 54 it would have been a hit but not a catastrophe uh, but what happened during the election campaign was the tories very ruthlessly said, well, you know, if, if you don't vote Conservative, uh, you know, you may like your local Lib Dem MP, but if you don't vote Conservative, you're going to get Red Milliband and the SNP, and you know, people in Conservative-facing areas like, like mine, where we were up against the Tories, um, a lot of people just deserted us and, and, and went in with the Tories. I think they now they regretted it. but that's what happened.
0: Yeah. And what actually made you want to go back and contest your seat again in 2017? As opposed to maybe just retire.
2: Well, most ma- many of my colleagues did just retire, and they've made other lives, and I, you know, respect that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I was motivated by a wish to get even, actually, <laughs> partly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't feel it was a good way to end. I mean, I'd worked very hard as an MP and built up a good reputation locally, and just to be dumped like that as a result of a what I thought was a fairly unscrupulous campaign by the Tory party, not the local candidate, who was very nice, but but the party nationally. And I wanted to fight back. Mm. And uh, in addition, I was still the um, candidate uh, in situ. I have not given it up at that point. Uh, We didn't expect an election to be called, Mm. uh, but Theresa May called one early, surprisingly. Thought it would be easier running with me than finding a new candidate, yeah. so I found myself back in parliament with a big majority.
0: Did you expect to win the seat back, or did you have to maybe try and do a lot more campaigning than you perhaps
2: would have? No, I, 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 we had a very good campaign, and the Lib Dems as, as a party in London put a lot of effort into it, which I was very grateful for. Um, I, did, I, I expected to win, but not not to win. As you know, I won with a very large majority—I mm. mean, twelve thousand something about wow. that which was you know way beyond my wildest expectations
0: yeah and you went even further that year actually and became leader of the Leb Dems what made you want to become leader
2: well there was a sense I think amongst all the more experienced MPs who were there I mean we only had 12 mm. that this was a bit of a poison chalice um you know we were still rebuilding or trying to get off the ground after two very difficult general elections um I didn't, in the end, have any competition for the job. The other potential candidates who were Joe Swinson and Ned Davey. Pulled out and left it to me. Um, I'm not, I suspect they they saw it as a very difficult job, and they were quite happy to leave it to me. Um, but, but but I saw what the, the the task was, which was to you know rebuild the party and local government. Yeah. Trying to get us a hearing, which is very difficult when you're down to twelve MPs. And I think after two years, we'd actually got there. We we had a spectacularly good result in local elections. Yeah. Uh, we did very very well in the European elections, got record numbers of MEPs. We were effectively the competition to Nigel Farage, Um, So we we got to a very good position and I was happy at that point to stand aside and let the next generation take over.
0: Yeah. Why do you think the local elections and European elections were so successful? Was it just as simple as being the anti-Brexit party?
2: Well, that certainly helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That that certainly helped. Um, And we did well, um, especially in parts of the country that were strongly Remain. But not only. I mean, some of our most spectacular results were in leave areas and not just in the relatively prosperous South of England, but but elsewhere, for example, cities like Hull, um, very, very Brexity, if you like that language. Um, <laughs> That's one to the Lib Dems as well. It was, you know, we're just very well organised and very good campaigning. And a lot of Lib Dems are fantastic community campaigners and they've been at it for years. So we we had a... It was, it was more than just being an anti-Brexit mm. party. Certainly that helped.
0: Yeah. And the EU elections, I suppose, are a more proportional system. So you would certainly appear to do better than you would for a general election.
2: Yes, well, it was a very strange election. If you remember, the the, the Conservatives didn't want it. They didn't really try. Yeah. Uh, The the real issue was what was going to happen to the anti-Brexit vote. And at the beginning, it was fragmented between us, the Labour Party, uh, this new party change, UK, and the Greens. Uh, But I think... There was an understanding that we were much more committed, less ambiguous than the Labour Party, and that we had a much better chance of winning than the Greens or Change UK. So, you know, the combination of factors.
0: Yeah. Being anti-Brexit, what would your sort of goal be in that sense? Would it be to hold another referendum or cancel it yes, altogether?
2: Well, well, uh, well the, the, the cancelling altogether did become the party policy. I think wrongly, actually. I think it was a bad mistake. No, the uh, that the, the campaign was to have what we called a confirmatory referendum. That you know, Britain had voted to leave narrowly, but people had a better idea by 2019 what Brexit was going to mean, and so we wanted a, a vote, a referendum on that. That was our policy, and I think it, had we stuck with that in the subsequent election, we'd have done rather better. Mm.
0: Are you optimistic, even though you supported Remain, or are you still maybe pessimistic? How are you feeling?
2: Well, on the European issue, I don't think there's any appetite at the moment to reopen the issue. Mm. I think it's a sort of peculiar state of affairs where I think there's now a quite substantial majority who feel it was a mistake, mm. uh, who can see all the costs and see very few benefits, um, but I think the country was just so exhausted with three years of bad-tempered debate on the subject that they just um, just don't want to reopen it. And I think yeah. it's very understandable that the Labour Party in particular, but even the Lib Dems, are not now clamouring for a re-entry. I mean, it may happen, I think, you know, 10 years or something. There may be a fresh um, fresh set of people having a look at this new Um, and maybe not just rejoining the European Union as it was, but but looking for a close relationship along the lines that say Norway currently has I I, I think you know looking a decade ahead that's maybe what what will happen. Yeah
0: and you led your party into the EU elections of course and the local elections but you didn't into a general election you retired as party leader shortly before the 2019 election even though you wouldn't have really known it was coming up would you have wanted to lead the party into a general election?
2: Well if if we'd known that that there was going to be an early election i would have stood mm. um but the calculation i made was that it was going to be another 2 years 2 plus years mm. um i was going to be you know almost 80 yeah. um, i'm not sure i wanted to stand yet again for another 5 years um and the, the, jo swinson was in the wing she was my deputy I think she was then ready to stand um so it you know it, I was happy to stand aside and and pass the on in an orderly way to someone else. Yeah.
0: Now, how would you rate the current government's response to Covid and the pandemic?
2: Um, well, as they themselves will claim, you know, there has been a successful vaccination um, programme, and that's why Britain is in a better position than many others. Yeah. But, but the the overall response has been rather shambolic, Um I mean, I think when you're looking at different ways of dealing with pandemics, you can have the Chinese way, which is, you know, very tough and rather authoritarian and controlling, but has the potential to more or less eliminate deaths, which is what they've done. Mm. Or you can have a much more liberal approach. And I suppose the best example was Sweden where they've relied relied very heavily on people's sense of responsibility and self-discipline and uh, concern for other people. Um, And they haven't done badly, but rather better than us. And then the British have had a bit of each, you know, in a rather kind of unconvincing way. And we've had 150,000 people who've died some of them, or quite a lot of them, unnecessarily. Not quite as bad as the United States, which is a million, mm. and some other countries much worse. But um, so it's a it's a mixed story, mm. not great. Uh, and I, I I do worry a little bit about the last few months. Mm. That although it's great that we've emerged into a much freer environment, uh, and where most of us, majority of us, large majority, now vaccinated. Uh, All of this seems to have been undertaken without scientific advice, Um, and we relied through the pandemic on the scientists to tell us what to do, our us, and they've suddenly disappeared, and I just worry that this is all a bit sort of political, uh, and there could be a nasty um, backlash in a few months' time if, say, a new strain of uh, Covid appears.
0: Mm. And the thing everyone's talking about at the moment, of course, is Partygate. What do you make of all that? Well,
2: it's it's a terrible mess. Mm. Um, uh, and, and it sort of underlines, for many people, um, what what is Mr. Johnson's worst failing, which is his um, gross dishonesty and just an unwillingness to be straight with people. Um, and it led to a, a kind of morally unacceptable position where the government's preaching one thing and doing another. So I I think the Tory MPs would like him to go, Mm. but they're not willing to move on that because they can't absolutely be sure there will be an orderly succession to somebody better. Mm.
0: Would you like him
2: to go? Um, Well, it's not a personal thing. Mm. I I think he ought to. Um, And I think they have people who are much better and who would give the Labour Party and my party a bigger run for their money at the next election, but they seem afraid to put the knife into him.
0: Yeah. Here we go then. Who are your favourite politicians outside of the Lib Dems?
2: Um, well, I worked with some very good conservatives in government. I think probably Ken Clark was somebody I had great um, admiration for. He's a cabinet colleague and did, did a lot of good work uh, over the years. And on the Labour side, I was um, actually quite a fan of Gordon Brown. I thought, you know, somebody of great integrity and... Idealism, um, and to actually accomplish quite a lot in his period of government. Mm.
0: And also, you appeared on a Christmas special of Strictly Come Dancing. I understand you have taken a bit of an interest in dancing over the years, actually.
2: Yeah, and I still do it. I mean, I have a weekly dancing lesson and I do... It's all been stopped because of the pandemic yeah. because, you know, you can't have social distancing when you're yeah. trying to dance. But um, it's restarted and I, and I will, you know, I'm planning to have a go at some competition in a few weeks time yeah
0: and of course you participated in strictly would you do any other reality shows
2: like maybe the no, jungle no, I, I so. some of those are just, are just embarrassing um <laughs> no i i did it because of my interest in dancing i mean it was a bit unorthodox because i was a member of the cabinet at the time but um yeah. no it wasn't a, a wish just just to have publicity and exposure for the sake of it, <laughs> I, it was something i rather love doing yeah
0: and an interesting thing i found out is that you actually learned to fly a plane when
2: you were in kenya that's right yeah i have a a, a long extinct um flying license um No, I mean, if, if you ever want to learn to fly, uh, Kenya is a perfect place to do it because <laughs> you have have wonderful climates and you can fly over the game parks and the mountains and wonderful blue skies and steady weather. Um, but I just didn't have the money. To, it's a very expensive hobby, as I soon discovered that I had to drop it subsequently.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. And what other hobbies and things do you like to get up to in your spare time?
2: Well, I, I mean, given My age, um, (laughs) one of my main concerns is keeping fit. So I do a lot of cycling. Uh, quite a bit of gym um, and you know walking, mountain walking where possible. So mm. yeah, that, that's that's outside of. And I read a lot of novels. That's mm. my main way, yeah. relaxing.
0: And any favourite TV shows at the moment?
2: Um, well, we love watching these um, these thrillers. Mm. You know, nine o'clock on a Saturday night, <laughs> yeah. and well, actually, there's one on the BBC at the moment as well. Mm. So yeah, sort of psychological thrillers, good 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 detectives, um, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, yeah yes I I enjoy those and match of the day (laughs) match of the day is unmissable yeah
0: and favourite TV shows to go on actually as well like Newsnight and things over the years
2: Newsnight is is sort of a bit diminished these days Mm. Um, uh, Channel 4 News is is good Uh, I mean I I actually used to quite like being interviewed by some of these people like Jeremy Paxman and John Humphreys I mean they they were Tough, but they were you know they, they were satisfying interviews, and mm. when you engage with them, you can have a proper conversation.
0: Yeah, I think. Do you like to sort of answer the question and give the interview? Yeah, well that's, what they that, want? that
2: is the point actually. Is if, if you answer that question or you try to answer the question, mm. they immediately treat you with more respect than mm. if you they think you're just some politician has come on to waffle. Yeah. So that's key actually. That's what we have to do.
0: Mm. What do you think the Lib Dems have? to to do now to gain more support? Because I don't think support is where it was
2: before the coalition. So. No, no, it isn't. We've had three now hmm. um, bad elections, yeah. and it's quite difficult to recover from that. Um, and I think the answer is partly um, strong rebuilding the base in local government. Hmm. And I think the second is... Um, um developing some kind of tactical understanding with the other opposition parties, mainly the Labour parties. I think, you know, a, a bit more of this government than people will be desperate to get rid of them. Yeah. And they will vote for the party, opposition party, there's the best chance of winning. And there are, you know, large number of constituencies around the country, say a minimum of 30 in addition to the 12 we have. Um, which could go Lib Dem, and that's mm-hmm. so. That's how I think we will make headway. Yes,
0: and are there any plans for you to root back to politics? Maybe the House of Lords, or I know, I, is that you? No,
2: I've no, no wish to go to the House of Lords. Yeah. The, sort of the cronyism is is not is not good, and I, I'd rather not do it. I've got mm-hmm. plenty of other things to do. I'm writing books. I've done three books in the lockdown, wow. and I'm going around book festivals promoting them and. Um, Do a bit of teaching at the London School of Economics. and I'm, you know, involved in a business promoting the rolling out of hydrogen infrastructure, so I'm very yeah. fully employed um, yeah. you yeah. know, mostly voluntary, but uh, I'm, I'm very, very busy and I've certainly no wish to go to the house of <laughs> yeah. Well, where are we able to keep up to date with you? Do you tweet, for example? Occasionally yeah, I have quite a lot of followers. I've got a podcast, Ooh. which I hope people will subscribe to, based on an article I write every week for The Independent. Great.
0: Well, just as as we go is there a particular song that we can play for you
2: um oh you've rather caught me on the hop there um <laughs> no I, I i was a, a great i i could my generation right i i sort of come from the generation of elvis presley mm. uh and the you know the ballads you know the ballads he was a very good voice you know that generation that elvis the El- the Everly brothers um Or the Beatles, you know, anything round there would would appeal to me. Okay, I'll find something for you then.
0: Well, thanks for coming on today, Sir Vince. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you very
2: much. Bye-bye
1: For free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: The throbbing post of sounds of sound. The Toby Gribbon Show!